Welcome to the TMR Podcast with your host, James Fisher, Editor-in-Chief of the Mirabishi Reader Online Literary Magazine. So sit back, relax, and put a bookmark in that book you're reading, no dog-earing, and enjoy the TMR Podcast. Hi, this is James Fisher, the Editor-in-Chief of the Mirabishi Reader website, Welcome to this edition of the TMR Podcast. Coming up on the podcast is an interview with Joe Powers, who is a um, horror writer that, who lives here, right here in New Brunswick, and I'll be talking to him. And uh, before I get to that, just some interesting news that I recently experienced. On July 6th, I was the guest on CBC's Shift NB program. Uh, host Colleen Kitz Gauguin interviewed me regarding the uh, TMR website, its development, how it came about, and where it's headed. So I'll put a link in the uh, uh, notes at the end of the podcast. Go over there and have a listen. It's in the uh, archives there on Shift MB. It's about 11 minutes long, and uh, it was a great experience being on radio. Colleen is a great host and great interviewer, and I really enjoyed it. And I can cross being on the CBC off my bucket list now. So coming up, here's the interview with Joe Powers. Uh, welcome, Joe Powers, to the TMR podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. Joe, you're, um, you've been a, a writer for a number of years now. You've had a few publications under your belt. Um, Hopefully more to come, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, so tell us, uh, just give us a little bit of background. I just read uh, uh, briefly your uh, bio. Uh, so you're a Canadian horror writer and a native of Fredericton. Um, and you're definitely into the scary horror genre. Yeah, that's, uh, that's my genre of choice for sure. That started early in life and it's never really left me i just keep returning to the one that loved me most i guess i dabble <laughs> here and there but the, i always come back to the scary stuff yeah do you find it um well you must find it easier to write than than other genres have you dabbled in other genres at all i have um i've tinkled tinkered with uh uh various things uh for example my first novel was a sort of a horror uh western fusion right um I've written a lot of short stories that have that have kind of uh, drifted into the sci-fi or uh, mystery type of type of thing, but uh, they've all got some sort of horror element to them, you know, at, at some degree. I guess that's just because that's that's how my mind works, and that's how the stories seem to seem to lead me. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so go back to what first started interesting, uh, getting you interested in this genre. You mentioned uh, it was a stormy Saturday night. You're six years old. The Bride of Frankenstein was on TV, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's right. Okay. I was just a young spot of a lad. And uh, back in those days, it was uh, the two channel days. Yeah. And uh, Saturday night uh, horror movies late at night. I was relatively given a free hand to uh, watch and consume more or less whatever uh, I wanted. Um, and uh, there was an old show back on Saturdays called Shock Theater. And it, mm. uh, it would feature the, the classics and Bride of Frankenstein was, was one that really stuck with me. I thought, this is great. And uh, I just sort of kind of went from there and everything that I could find that was even remotely connected to 
to the horror genre. It just drew me in. Okay, so this is back. Uh, we're talking seventies. This would 70s. be uh, mid seventies, yeah, mid to late seventies. Okay, so um, it, it's interesting you mentioned a shock theater because in uh, Kingston, Ontario, where I grew up, across the lake was Syracuse, and uh, we had maybe three or four channels, a couple of couple of Ontario ones, and then a couple from across the uh, the border. But in Syracuse, they would have on Saturday afternoons at one o'clock uh, in the afternoon, monster horror theater. Um, uh, sorry, monster movie matinee. And it and it ran on the Syracuse TV for about 15 years. I think it ended in, uh, I looked it up the other day. I can't remember when it ended, probably early 80s. But it, it, but it always started off with the host and you never saw the host. You just saw his hand and his hand had these long black fingernails, but you always saw his uh, assistant, Epaul, and they were just two people <laughs> who worked at the station. And uh, so you had this beginning kind of, it's kind of like a ongoing series of, of beginnings, and then they come back at the end of the movie. But in between, you know, they'd sh show some classics and some, a lot of B movies. And uh, so I, I grew up watching that. Uh, for black and white horror, you know, like the right. horror movies, Attack of the Ants and things like that. So, <laughs> it, I mean, it was all fun. That's that's the kind of horror I kind of grew up with, along with, um, um, there used to be a lot of magazines back in those days, like comic books, like adult comic books called, uh, uh, you know, Weird Tales and Eerie. And there was, there was all kinds of them. And I just devoured them because I just love that kind of story. But um, Personally, I'm more into the gothic kind of horror, like uh, like the Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft. Um, yep. But uh, but we're not here to talk about me. But I just when you mentioned the shock theater, it meant I just had to mention monster movie matinee because it was such an integral part of my growing up years. And, I think a lot of people were impacted by those types of shows, and they you know to what degree it stuck with them, you know, varied for for different people. But I think a lot of us can look back. Uh, fondly or otherwise on those types of things it was really popular in that era for sure and uh, sort of the golden age of of uh, movies gave way to the 50s and 60s uh, b and c sci-fi yeah. stuff and and, yeah. and you know monsters from outer space and it was yeah. all it was all just great and like you i i just tore into the the vault of horror and eerie and, and those types of things too anytime i could get my hands on that stuff yeah. just i love the big thing that i really liked most about those types of things was uh they always seemed to have this intricate twist ending that nobody saw coming mm. and they would they would just drop a drop a bomb on you from out of left field and i thought that was great and i yeah. i sort of try to do that myself now as much as i can right yeah uh i just finished reading a, a while ago old bones which is your newest uh collection of short stories that's right yeah. and uh, the one previous to that you mentioned your novel about uh, high water uh, what was the full title again it's terror in high water terror in high water yes and it, yeah. it, was, kind of, it was kind of a it, it was the, the high water was kind of a pun on come hell or high water i think was it not or did i that's that's pretty much what it did was I pick I up on that 
<laughs> yeah, I was trying to trying to uh, create an atmosphere of a place uh, that was pretty hellacious, and uh, yeah, that that came to me, and uh, you know, I didn't want to use hell or high water because that was a little bit too cliche. Yeah, <laughs> so I drifted yeah. that a little bit. And then there was definitely no high water in high water because it's in like the desert or something. But, Very yeah. little high water. <laughs> yeah, but it was good as like the the as you know the penultimate good versus evil kind of western gunslinger or you're slinging a lot of stuff there too but more than just bullets but. more than just bullets it was uh it was yeah. one of those things where i wanted to i wanted to see if i could appeal to a broader audience and uh without alienating either either of these audiences i know people yeah. love the old the old westerns uh and a lot of people love horror so i thought well it doesn't get fused together very often. Some people have done it. Um, yeah. I didn't. I didn't uh, create any break down any barriers or create a genre myself. But I certainly mm -hmm. uh, I thought, well, I'll try it and see how it works. And I think it worked anyway. Yeah, I, I was recently uh, did an interview, a podcast interview with uh, with an author who does a lot of ghost writing, and uh, he said westerns are the most popular. He gets a lot of call for writing ghost writing westerns. So oh. there's it's still a popular genre and there's still a lot of followers out there. So yeah, and it made quite a comeback in recent years, actually. The old spaghetti westerns kind of faded for a while, but now you've got a lot of stuff uh, uh you know, even in the in the late eighties with things like Tombstone and so on. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh it just sort of became a, a different type of uh of uh, cowboy type thing, but but definitely still that same that same genre for sure. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, but not everyone can write horror. Uh, maybe people can write a Western, but not everyone can write horror and, and pull it off, I, I guess. But uh, some of your influences, you mentioned Stephen King, of course, he was kind of like a natural progression for a lot of us from the from the horror movies to the to the written page and got a lot of us probably reading books. You know, we, we dashed out and got the newest Stephen King as soon as it came out in paperback because we couldn't afford hard hard covers, right? <laughs> that's right i had quite a collection there for a while as has no doubt you probably do or still do i still do i've uh, i don't have quite a complete collection but i've got uh, i've got a good lot of it including some uh, kind of some rarities that uh, you don't see just everywhere mm. um, that was one of those things that uh, i decided well he uh, he was really my first uh, venture into uh, adult novels as it were I yeah. was i was probably in the same uh, you know, mid seventies range when I read the first uh, Stephen King, it was a right. short story collection called Night Shift. Yes, and, yes, uh, that's right. I, I very much enjoyed that. It taught me a couple of things. First of all, um, a story doesn't have to be a full length novel to be a, a marketable story. Right. I thought, this is great. This is bite sized stuff, and it also reconfirmed the fact that there was indeed a market for horror, and uh, so I wasn't just some uh, lone kid who enjoyed this stuff there was there was a whole world of it out there yeah so that's sort of uh, yeah i've always king has sort of been the the shining light for for me and, and a lot of people that do what i do i think yeah i'd forgotten about night shift actually until you mentioned it yeah i think that was the first one i probably read too because stand by me came out of that collection i think didn't it the movie or the story no i don't think it did that was no. uh, it was based on a, on a story called the sandlot i believe that was uh a lot of his movies did come out of night shift though Children of the Corn, uh, okay, for example, yeah. uh, Maximum Overdrive, which uh, I was discussing just the other day. Um, yeah, there's a there's a litany of them. The Lawnmower Man, I guess, was in there as well. Uh -huh. um, 
yeah so it's uh, a lot of a lot of uh, his films were based on stories that uh, that appeared in that collection it's kind of iconic mm -hmm. in that sense any uh favorites from from him in particular or? um i always enjoyed the stand a lot yeah. um it's a big unwieldy book that i i've read probably two or three times over the years um I just, I really enjoy it. I love the fact that he can world build and character build uh, with such depth and, and honesty. He mm -hmm. really makes you feel like uh, at the end of whatever you've written or whatever you've read, uh, you've just actually met some people that you that you could see in the street or that yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, he's, he's excellent. That's the kind of character development that I think most of us strive to to achieve and, and maybe few of us actually come close to, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. it's, that's the golden ring anyway. Yeah, and it's kind of similar with your stories. It's just average people, and uh, you know, just find themselves in situations, or uh, um, you know, come across something magical or horror-like, and and uh, have to deal with it. Um, I guess I'm correct in saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, for me, I mean, I love a good monster uh, movie or book as much as the next guy, or maybe more so, but. Honestly, most horror is rooted in the real world. Um, you don't have to look very far to find horrific things. Mm -hmm. And I like to sort of take everyday situations, everyday people, and just kind of play the what if game. What if this were to happen to this poor unsuspecting person or this nice little quiet town and just kind of uh, create some things that normally wouldn't happen or might happen. They could be completely yeah. believable under the right set of circumstances. Uh, and I think that allows uh, it allows the reader to identify with it a little bit more, you know, because uh, you know you, you can take a like I said the sci-fi movies with the with the monsters from outer space and so on. It's entertaining, uh, but realistically, always in the back of your mind, you you don't really think that's going to happen. No. Whereas you know something like uh, well, Children of the Corn, like we just mentioned. Um, it's entirely conceivable that you could find yourself driving down a dusty road in the middle of some Midwestern American state, uh, forgotten by time and, and stumble upon this old town that happens yeah. to be full of psychotic little children. And, you know, is it, is it real? Probably not, but right. maybe. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the thing. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. The setting is real. Uh -huh. uh, it kind of, and it kind of reminds me of one, I think it's one of the last stories in old bones. It's, um, and I, Again, I can't remember the title, but it was a little girl who's being bullied at school, and yeah. her and her grandfather decides to help her out. And uh, I, I won't give away the uh, what happens, but um, something magical, anyways. And but it, you're dealing with it. You got a real situation there: a girl, girl being bullied, uh, school not doing anything about it, parents not doing anything about it. So grandfather takes matters into his own hands and and passes her on a. A gift so that was kind of neat and then at like you say at the ending there's a bit of a twist there right so uh that's what i really yeah. enjoyed that one and I, I enjoy those yeah. kind of things i like that story because it's it i think it speaks to people anybody who's uh, known or, or had a child who's been bullied and has felt powerless to to do anything about it you know the system sometimes seems like it's not really all that helpful and and you're not really you're limited in the in, you know the amount of things that you can actually do to actually help uh so i again 
said, well, what if this, what if I had access to some tools that the average person doesn't actually have access to? Mm-hmm. And I bestow them upon this, this girl and uh, give her a chance to, uh, you know, kind of work through her, her problems a little yeah. bit. And uh, that's, that's actually a pretty good illustration of the way that I approach a lot of the things that I write. Yeah. This is a, a completely realistic situation with uh, maybe a little bit less realistic outcome, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> But I guess if, if uh, well, it's probably at one point or another, all of us have, uh, as children have wished certain things and not really meant it. But, you know, <laughs> again, I'm not going <laughs> to give away the ending. But <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we, uh, <laughs> we all have those uh, those thoughts. We think, boy, if only I could do this. Right? Yeah, maybe, maybe even as adults, we have them, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, I want to ask you just so you do some uh, teaching at UNB. Yeah, that's right. I offer uh, three courses through the uh, College of Extended Learning at UNB here in Fredericton. Um, although they're they're done virtually now uh, since mm-hmm. uh, since COVID, and uh, we're not allowed in the in the classrooms anymore. I guess we are now, but we still do them uh, via Zoom, like we're doing mm-hmm. right now. Um, yeah, it's uh, I enjoy doing that. I, I find it very uh, maybe it's cliched to say, but I find it very rewarding um, having spent. Uh, a number of years in and around the publishing industry in various capacities and doing various things, um, having learned various lessons about the industry. Um, I like to uh, pass on some of the knowledge or wisdom, if you will, that I've acquired over the years and uh, help out some people who maybe would like to write or uh, have begun to write and aren't really sure where to go with it or what to do. Uh, I can... I don't have all the answers, but I do have some of the answers. And, mm-hmm. uh, I can't necessarily tell you uh, what the uh, by the textbook way to go about things is, but I can tell you what worked for me. Okay. And uh, yeah, people seem to appreciate that approach. Um, I do have a pretty good rapport with the, the people that take my classes. Everybody or most everybody seems to come away with uh, at least something that they can use toward uh, uh, their writing, which is, again, that's pretty rewarding for me. I like to uh, help expand. Uh, and, and grow uh, the writing, you know, and, and anybody who, anybody who ever said, well, I, I wish I could be a writer. Well, you can, honestly, yeah. I, I never met anybody yet who couldn't. <laughs> they just maybe needed a little nudge in the right direction sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, or the inspiration, I guess, too. Eh? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so were you always a, a teacher or is this something recent for you or? Uh, I started doing this uh, probably, I guess it's been about seven years ago. Uh, when, uh, when I first started teaching at the college. Uh, I've always been pretty, uh, pretty free to uh, share any knowledge or, or information that I had. Um, and I found that that's not necessarily a universal thing across the industry. Some people are pretty tight-lipped with uh, anything or they'd rather, uh, you know, sign up now for buy my book on how to do this in 10 mm-hmm. easy steps or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's fine. And, and I don't begrudge anybody that. Um, I think that writing is uh, something that anybody can do. Um, you don't need to have a, a PhD in, in anything. You don't have to have any special training necessarily. Uh, you have to have a desire and uh, you know a little bit of a basic grasp of, of the language of choice that you're writing in. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe just a little guidance on how to uh, properly uh, uh, use it to your advantage. But it's, it's completely, uh, completely accessible. To anybody who thinks that they might want to do that so um, my goal with doing this is just to uh, 
you know, maybe help that along. But no, as far as it's not a lifelong thing that I've done. Um, it, uh, it's just something that, like I said, it's just uh, an opportunity presented itself uh, about seven years ago. And I, uh, I took it and uh, no regrets. I really enjoy yeah. it. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm sure your uh, students appreciate your insights too. Um, so are you, uh, you've always published your own uh, material, correct? Uh, no, I never publish my own material. Oh, okay. uh, I, I always deal with, uh, with external publishers. Um, I'm not self-published. I'm not opposed to self-publishing necessarily. It's just something that I've been fortunate enough to uh, uh, work with publishers. Uh, the, the two novels that I've produced and, uh, and my collection, Old Bones, they were all uh, uh, published by World Castle Publishing. Okay. Which is uh, uh, they're a publishing house uh, based out of Florida, actually. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've got a great rapport with them, and uh, really enjoyable to work with. So I've had a I've had a pretty good experience with that. I know not everybody has a good experience when dealing with publishers. Mm -hmm. uh, I've I've certainly had some that were less than stellar for sure, um, which is also part of what I discuss in some of my classes. Actually, some things to uh, watch out for. Um, but no. Uh, there again, no complaints and no regrets with working with them. I do know a number of people who uh, self-publish, um, and they uh, they generally seem to have a pretty good uh, experience with it. So uh, yeah. uh, more power to them, honestly. Uh, I don't know that there's a wrong or right way to uh, to go about publishing, honestly, especially now, where it's so accessible. Uh, right. right. You know, it, it's not it's not like it was years ago where you. Uh, typed up a manuscript and started a page over if you made a typo and you put it all into a big thick manila envelope yeah. and uh, sent it off with return postage and then twiddled your thumbs for six or eight months and hoped that maybe somebody would take notice of it. Exactly. Um, those days are, are thankfully mostly done. Um, but yeah, it's, it's still a, a, an interesting industry for sure. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff goes on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've talked to authors who, you know, uh, who, um, go with self-publishing and others who love their publishers. And, but uh, I think the, the one thing bo they both agree on is have a good editor, get some good editing. And uh, that is paramount. Yes. Yeah. Cause yeah, I've, like I've read some books that like self probably self-published books that were poorly edited. You find typos um, poorly printed and, you know, paragraphs just sort of end in the middle somewhere and, you know, it just takes right away from the from the from the story and the quality. So uh, that's good. I'm glad you have you're having good experience with the publisher. Um, so just a, a few other things. Just mention uh, where you where we uh, the readers or the listeners, I should say, can obtain your books. Um, my books can be obtained pretty much anywhere. Uh, Amazon um, is a good source for all my stuff. Uh, Barnes and Noble. Uh, carries everything uh, indigo chapters um, right. if it's not physically on the shelf they can order it in for you at these places right. um, for anybody in the uh, local area here um, you can find me at dog ear books in ormacto and uh, you can uh, buy it directly from me actually i usually have uh, some copies on hand okay. um, beyond that uh, there's there's really um Honestly, my publisher has pretty excellent distribution, so there's really not a lot of places that you buy books that you can't uh, find me, uh, okay. which is pretty amazing, actually. <laughs> Good, and I'll provide some links to uh, to your uh, site and uh, and uh, some links uh, to your uh, social media sites as well. I think you're uh, oh, great. Yeah, I'll put it in the uh, 
in the episode notes. Uh, so just one other thing I'd like to ask uh, my uh, interviewees before we sign off is tell us an interesting fact about Joe Powers. One that maybe not a lot of people know about. <laughs> well, uh, I guess at the risk of... A fun fact, to, uh, fun fact. Well, <laughs> yeah, okay. that's right. Uh, well, uh, I do... As you're based in the Miramichi, I'll, I'll sort of lean in that direction and mention okay. that uh, I, for many, many years, have spent as much of my free time as I can possibly wrangle in and around the Miramichi area. Um, for, for entertainment purposes, but also, uh, to be quite frank, for research purposes as well, um, I'm big on local legends and, and ghost stories and that sort yeah. of thing. And as you're well aware, the Miramichi is ripe with all of that. Yes, um, yes. I've never had a problem having people tell me cool stuff and scary stuff and interesting yeah. things from, from the area. And uh, a lot of it I turn into uh, into stories uh, as much as I can. I've always been kind of fascinated with the famous one, the Dan Garvin Hooper, of course. Yeah. Um, that's, that makes uh, an that's appearance okay. in Old Bones. It does. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe not quite the same version that most people know, but it's, right. it's uh, <laughs> a similar story. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I've come across an awful lot of interesting stuff uh, in the region, and it's just it's just beautiful country, and I like getting away and and uh, spending time by the river and in the forest, and and just being away from everything, and recharging my batteries, and being one. I feel I feel at home there. It's not my home, but uh, it's it's the next best thing. Okay, uh, I've been going there for you know decades now, as much as I can. Oh, good. Okay. Well, that's interesting because uh, you know I I moved here from Ontario about 15 years ago and and uh, people always ask me you know would you go back to Ontario and I said not really I love it here and uh, this was all this was all before you know Ontario people started flooding in here because of because of COVID and stuff like that so that's and, right and shooting the house prices up <laughs> so, yeah yeah it's crazy here now but um, now we're, we're very happy here very happy here and it's it is a nice area. And New Brunswick, area. New Brunswick in general is a nice, nice province. It really is. The pace of life moves a little differently here. Yeah. Um, for, uh, you know, I, I happen to think that's a good thing. Um, it's, nah, it's not for everybody, I guess, but no. uh, maybe that's okay. Maybe, maybe uh, it's not for everybody. Right. That's right. It suits my pace just fine. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for uh, just spending a few minutes uh, with us here in the TMR podcast. I wish you, oh, I wanted to ask uh, anything new in the works. Any works in progress? Yeah, there's the uh, there's always something in the works uh, with me. Uh, I've currently uh, I've got uh, a new novel which I'm hoping to release relatively soon. It's it's sort of in the end game stages, and I'm I'm still kind of chewing over that. Um, I've got a couple of short stories based on little things like we just talked about things mm -hmm. that uh, uh, caught my eye. Uh, some local. Uh, local legend stuff actually that i thought well i can i can put a twist on this for myself um i find that if i don't get it out pretty soon it doesn't come out so i have to actually get the stuff down on paper as quickly as i can okay. uh, which sometimes means things are in uh, states of disrepair and they don't get tied up as quickly as i would like um, but it's all there and it's all eventually coming so uh, yeah definitely uh, always some new things coming uh, on the horizon if not the immediate horizon good okay well we'll look out for that and uh, once again, I want to thank you for taking time on this long weekend to join me here on the TMR podcast. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Best, best wishes, Joe.
Well, thank you, uh, Joe, for uh, taking the time on the July long weekend to uh, record this interview. Also, we'll post links to uh, Joe's website, as well as the CBC interview that I had and a few other relevant links. Once again, uh, always uh, appreciate leaving positive feedback for this podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. And two, um, as a result of the CBC interview, our TMR TMR newsletter has received a couple dozen more uh, subscribers. We're well over 420 now. And uh, you can subscribe by going to the website and uh, looking for the subscribe link under the drop-down menu there. I also uh, received a new uh, Patreon subscriber. So if you uh, are interested in supporting the uh, Miramichi Reader website, as well as this podcast, as well as Miramichi Flash, our sister website that hosts uh, four new Flash fictions each month, you can uh, go to the Patreon uh, link at the bottom of the newsletter or uh, I'll put a post a link on the post following this website following this podcast and you can go there and support us I really appreciate it thank you so much for listening and until next time you this is James Fisher editor-in-chief of the Miramichi Reader The Miramichi Reader, Canada's best-regarded source for the finest in new literary releases. Visit miramichireader.ca.